This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, presented by Northland Fishing Tackle, the show that covers everything happening on the lakes, in the woods, on the trails, and in the parks. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is sponsored by Josh Miller Whitetail Properties and Ace on the Lake in Bemidji. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is also sponsored by Clearbrook Electric, Bemidji Marine, and Timberline Sports and Blacktop, as well as First National Bank Bemidji, Dondelinger GM, and DS Beverages, Paul Bunyan Country's distributor of Anheuser-Busch. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is also sponsored by Race Sport and Marine and John's Refuse. We had a chance to talk with Scott Mockentoon. He hangs out down in the Hutchinson area, but he hunts up in our neck of the woods, and he has quite the story to tell from last year's hunting experience. I figured you're still into deer hunting with muzzle loading season. Let's hear some more deer hunting stories. Scott Mockentoon on the way. If you're ready to write the next chapter of your life and love the outdoors, Northwest Technical College might be the perfect fit. Northwest Technical College in Bemidji has state-of-the-art technical education and six career paths in the heart of the Northwoods. Automotive, building trades, business, health, child care, and manufacturing technology. We're surrounded by more than 400 lakes and acres and acres of forests. You can be fishing, you can be hunting, and you can be plotting the course of your life all at the same place. The shortest path to your dream job begins at Northwest Technical College, Bemidji's Technical College. Learn more today. Visit ntcmn.edu. This is Bro reminding you that the coolest people are on Fall Bunyan Country and Kevin Jackson, too. We're checking in with our friend Scott Mockentoon, who uh, does a lot of fishing talk with us, and we'll get to that down the road. But he's also an outdoor writer, does a lot of stuff uh, down in the uh, Mankato area. And uh, he is headed our way into Paul Bunyan Country to go uh, deer hunting. How long have you been hunting up in our neck of the woods, Scott? Well, I'm an adult onset hunter. Uh, I was actually in grad school when I uh, got into deer hunting, at least. I started off with small game hunting, but my first hunt was 2016. So last year was my 15th year of deer hunting. So that's a that's a little unusual, adult onset. I like the way you say that. Um, that's That's pretty rare. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if you're looking at organizations that are introducing people to hunting, I think that's been sort of the reckoning um, that it does take a certain amount of resources and it you need to be make pretty serious high-level conscious decisions, especially with big game hunting. So really targeting adults, young adults, but all adults is really something that I'm seeing folks doing in the world of R3, you know, recruit, retain, reactivate, whether it's hunters, whether it's anglers. And so, you know, coming up in a family that didn't hunt at all, I knew I was crazy about the outdoors. I knew I wanted to do it. It just, it was, I think it was a lot harder back then because the first field dressing that I ever did of the first doe that I shot, I remember laying out, you know, this, this guide poster in front of me of like oh you make the cut here and you do this and you do that and so when i talk about getting people into the outdoors i always explain the difference between information and instruction it's wonderful that we have youtube we have the internet we have all these things that can instruct you how to participate in the outdoors but at the end of the day you know having someone by your side to do it is usually a little bit better i mean i'm I'm now trying to pass it on to my kids and make sure it doesn't skip the generation but <laughs> You know, for anybody that's listening, I hope that if, if you ever wanted to try hunting, I'm, I'm hopefully you'll take the time to, to search out mentors or programs or 
other opportunities to, to do it. Now, did, were you fishing as a youngster, or did that come as an adult as well? Oh, I fished as much as I could. There was at least a little bit of fishing. You know, growing up on a farm, we didn't, we couldn't get away. You know, you couldn't. You had to milk cows. And my first, my first uh, desire uh, as a young person was to for for a career for a job opportunities. I wanted to milk cows like my uncle did. But then I quickly realized, you know, the few times I would help out, it's you know, it's seven days a week, twice a day. There's no holidays. There's no weekends. So. I quickly realized that as much as I love fishing, like there wasn't going to be a lot of time for fishing when you're when you're on a, a livestock farm. So, um, yeah, I did I did quite a bit of fishing. I used to bike down to uh, Lake Marion in McLeod County on Highway 15 and, and do some fishing down there and fish as much as I possibly could. So, Scott, even though your career is in the outdoors in a number of different ways, I mean, it wasn't something that was introduced to you at birth like i hear from so many of these uh, the people i talk to oh yeah you know it was something i picked up probably more from uh just osmosis i mean i do think one of the things i look back on now um you know i can't knock the the farming background it taught me a lot i i still have family that farms um you are outdoors all the time when you're when you're working on a farm you you learn about the environment you you get your hands dirty and you're outside, so it's good for me to do that. It was good for me to be a part of 4-H and FFA, and some of those extracurriculars really got me into the natural sciences, got me into exploring the environment, learning about wildlife and wildlife sciences, fisheries, aquatic biology, wetlands. Uh, heck, I, I was one of those rare kids. I Most people had a baseball card collection, which <laughs> I did too, but I also had an insect collection and a rock collection and a tree leaf collection. You know, it was... If there was something to do outdoors, uh, that was right up my alley. So it it just took a little bit of time for those uh, those interests to to bloom fully into not just being something of an ecologist, but also uh, hunting and angling. So hunting your your first uh, hunting trip. How did you? I mean, did you just decide I'm going in the woods and I'm going hunting? Did you have some friends who said come along? How how did it all work out for you? Well. I'll throw it out to, um, I always had it in the back of my mind, I had done some small game hunting right away my freshman year in college. We were hunting waterfall with my good good friend and roommate. I uh, ended up being the best man in my wedding, still a, still a good hunting friend of mine, uh, John Cradiville. He's, uh He does prairie restorations up in uh, Duluth, Minnesota, boreal restorations as it is up there. Um, and so I did a lot of, of small game hunting with him. Um, whether it was ducks, whether it was pheasants, grouse. And then I actually had a, a DNR fisheries internship at the Walker Fisheries Station, and I worked with a technician by the name of Steve Campbell. He's retired now. And Steve talked at great lengths about how much he loved deer hunting and how I should try it. And, you know, <laughs> by the end of the summer, you know, every time we were out on the water together or riding in the pickup truck, he was trying to pass on all these tips to me about what I should be doing. I I grabbed one of the other interns and we ran out to the family property and started scouting it and where should we put stands and got all excited to hunt it and that's kind of how it went from there on I was on my own I did my own deer hunting for a couple of years and I had a catfishing friend of mine that came along that he just was look he had grown up deer hunting his whole life he was just looking for a change of pace a different place to hunt we hunted together for a while and then it all kind of came full circle when I brought that 
friend of mine, John, that I told you about uh, back into the fold, and I actually convinced him to finally take up deer hunting. And as it were, his first year, he shot a pretty nice nine-pointer. Nice. Um, and so how did you find your way up to uh, Paul Bunyan Country for your, your hunting headquarters? So I can definitely count my blessings in life about where I've had great opportunities. And my maternal grandfather was born on a piece of property near Big Fork. And it's interesting to look back at the abstract. Uh, the Pillsbury's were originally listed on the abstract. So what I believe probably occurred, I can't prove this, but what I believe occurred is at that time the Pillsbury Milling family made their fortune in, in wheat and uh, probably took their money and turned around and bought uh, virgin timberland and then logged it off and then uh, sold it back. And so the property was homesteaded um, on my mother's side. That's where my, again, where my grandfather was born. And it's kind of been in the family ever since. So we've had 40 acres in the Chippewa National Forest kind of my whole life. Now, you could kind of complain that, oh, geez, you're not on a lake, and how nice would it be to be on a lake? But when you're in that uh, northeastern portion of the Chippewa, there's lakes everywhere, and there's woods as far as you can see, many of which are, are publicly accessible for grouse or for deer. So that is how I started hunting up in that area, and eventually I broaden my horizons to, you know, where I live in the south, where I'm doing a lot of hunting on uh, <clears throat> small creeks or uh, Minnesota River Valley areas or agricultural lands. I've kind of hunted in the, in the past 15 years uh, for deer. I've, I've hunted uh, a few different places, at least for whitetails, including over in famed uh, Buffalo County, Wisconsin. Now, um, you um, are here to tell us a story about basically your Captain Ahab moment, your great white whale, um, that you that you that you got last year. Um, how long has that have you have you been spotting that deer? So, <clears throat> part of my story, and as much as we focused on the genesis of becoming a deer hunter and how that came about, I think for a lot of folks, you know, you, you start off, you, you want to. You want to be successful in filling a tag, and successful is a, is a difficult thing to define as a hunter. It means different things to different people. I've been very grateful through the 15 going on 16 years of deer hunting now that when I've largely when I've wanted to, I've been able to fill tags and have venison in the freezer, and that, that ultimately is the goal, and we do enjoy eating venison at our house here. Um, the, the frustrating part is sometimes the more, the more you want something, the harder it is to obtain. Uh, that that would be, in a nutshell, how my deer hunting went for big bucks. Uh, despite having hunted a lot of different locations, trying different things, learning over time, hey, let's put some food plots in, let's use trail cameras to monitor what's happening on the property, let's, I guess I'll call it, become more sophisticated in how we, how we do all this and more immersed in, in it throughout the year, Despite making all those changes and, and trying to get better um, and have more opportunities at Big Bucks, over all those years, while holding a weapon, I never saw a Big Buck. And by Big Buck, you know, to, to put a definition on it, something bigger than uh, six points, like an eight-pointer better. You know, that, to that point, I had not seen something in 15 years better than a six-point buck. 
I had I had taken a seven point uh, in Buffalo County, Wisconsin. I had a broken brow uh, brow tine, so it was seven rather than eight. And beyond that, which I called that a slump buster, and that was probably five years ago. Uh, beyond that deer, I really had not had any success. I was always in the wrong place at the wrong time. I would, you know, see deer that would show up on camera, you know, that were at a by a stand that I wasn't on that day, or you know, <laughs> I mentored a couple young men that came out and hunted with me in the Minnesota River Valley a few years back, and one of them shot a really nice ten pointer. Uh, it was always just kind of a comedy of errors. Meanwhile. As I mentioned earlier, a good friend of mine that comes up to, to deer hunt with me, he he was able to shoot a pretty nice nine-pointer his first year. Um, my brother-in-law, also an adult-onset hunter, uh, was able to shoot an eight his first year and a ten-point his second year. And so it was kind of this like point of frustration where I had been trying and trying to, to have this opportunity and it never was really coming up. Um, and it, it, it started to wear on you mentally. And ultimately, you know, kind of the the long wait ended last year. Uh, this the, the, the take home was after 15 years of hunting, um, I had I spend my time up in Big Fork, and then I return back home to uh, hunt in the Minnesota River Valley during the week if I can get out for a few hours in the morning, or you know, try not to eat up too much of the vacation time that way and <laughs> split time between a couple different areas. Well, I I hunted around Belle Plaine. I hunted opening weekend last year at Big Fork. Didn't see anything. Uh, hunted Belle Plaine, saw some spikes and forks come through and some does. Uh, Wednesday night, the middle of the week, you know, down in the south, we've got a one-week-long firearm season. I did see, or I had a, I had a pretty nice eight-pointer that was on camera, but, of course, it was on the stand that was on the top side of the ravine, and I was down in the bottom. So I told myself on Thursday, Veterans Day, I would flip-flop. I would go up to the top and see what happened. Well, I sat there for a few hours, and I'm looking on my phone. I know that I need to get up to Big Fork, and it's a five-hour drive, and I see this big storm system is starting to drop snow in that area. Well, knowing that it's going to make the roads really crummy, I just decided to cut bait. I head out of the stand. Um, I have a vacation day that day or a holiday, I should say. So I'm off for the whole day. I have all my things packed, jump into the vehicle, drive north. I get up as far as Marcel, and the roads are turning pretty sloppy. There's slush all over. I kind of slow down to about 30, 40 miles an hour. I make it the rest of the way in. I've got about two hours of daylight. So I don't even bother dragging my stuff into the cabin. I just put on my orange, head out to one of the stands. Uh, I grab uh, <laughs> grab my grandfather's rifle. I had two rifles up there, um, but the property had been logged recently, so there's kind of an open open area that you can see across. If I'd have been smart, um, I would have grabbed uh, my 300 wind mag because it's got uh, a better glass on it and I can see a little bit better. Uh, instead, I just for good luck grabbed Grandpa's old rifle, which I've killed plenty of deer with, headed out to the stand. Uh, I'm sitting out on the stand, and the snow is just coming like crazy uh, to the point where I normally read paperback books in the stand. I can't keep the page open because <laughs> there's just so much snow coming down, so I'm tucking things away. Uh, John 
friend of mine, John, texted me from another stand on the property because he was going out about the same time I arrived. He called it quits because his scope was completely fogged up. Wow. Uh, five minutes after he texted me, I happened to casually look to my right, and the snow is really coming down at this point, and I just see this dark brown object heading my way. I... <laughs> Because I've waited so long for this encounter, I'm not going to get myself into buck fever. I'm not even going to look and count points on antlers or anything silly like that. Like, I just know this is a mature animal. I see this deer off in the distance, and it sort of stops. I can tell it's a nice buck, and it looks to its left, and it's, it's heading towards me, but it looks to this left, and there's a big alder sort of thicket over there. If that deer cuts into that thicket I'm in trouble because I know it's going to go behind my stand and I'm never going to see it again so I'm trying to judiciously sight this thing through my scope and just like John had I had major fogging so I'm wiping my scope I'm wiping, I'm wiping, I'm wiping I look again, I can see it Uh, I think I've got a pretty good shot, it's quartering kind of towards me, I think I've got it lined up pretty well I take the shot it kind of startles for a second, but rather than running into the alder, it's now coming towards me. It's picked up its pace and it's heading forward. It just was startled. So I'm, I'm attributing that to a clean miss. Uh, it, it needs to clear one more tree to come broadside to me. So I'm waiting and backing out the scope and trying to wipe it off. And eventually it does pop up. I feel like I'm right behind that shoulder. I take the shot. This buck doesn't change its behavior one bit. It just casually trots off ahead, doesn't kick up, doesn't change body language, doesn't drop its head, just keeps going. And it's gone, you know, slipped out through the food plot and gone, and I'm just beside myself. I cannot believe that I missed this thing. John comes out to the stand because he heard the shooting. I tell him the whole story. John says, should we track it? At this point, after 15 years, I'm so mentally defeated that I just say, why bother? We shouldn't stink the place up. <laughs> so we don't track this deer. Uh, there's not a drop of blood down. I don't see a, you know, a sprayed, um, a, a missed bullet shot that's errant off in the distance. Um, <clears throat> the next day comes. I go back to the stand. Um, I still have a tag in my pocket. A, a doe comes out, but I decide it just isn't. I don't, I don't need to shoot. It's not worth it. Uh, the next day, I just I need to change something up. So I sit another stand that's in a swamp, and I hear John shooting uh, about 9 o'clock in the morning. This is Saturday now. And I, he tells me he's, he's hit the deer, but he needs, there's, there's a track, and um, it's, it's mortally wounded, but we're going to give it some time. I said, okay, well, I'll get off the stand. We'll go sit down in the cabin for an hour, and we'll go track it. Well, we, we sit, we wait a little bit, and we pick up the track. And, you know, there's, there's good blood. We are doing what most deer hunters do when they're doing a recovery. We're leapfrogging each other, going to the freshest blood, and then the next person's going off ahead. And it just so happens that this, it's a spike buck that he shot. Um, it's angling off towards where I was sitting on Thursday towards that, uh, towards that particular stand. And we're continuing to leapfrog each other, and it's we're starting to get into a, a bunch of spruce. 
really thick stuff, so it's all the more important that we're leapfrogging each other. I am next to, to jump up ahead, and when I pass, I see this huge brown body, half covered in snow, because what had happened is the snow system had bounced in the Lake Superior, bounced off the lake, and just rotated basically over Kuchiching and Itasca County, dropping snow the whole time. So this deer is half covered in snow, and I'm going, John, you lying son of a gun, you didn't shoot some little little spike buck. But then I looked, well, no, those aren't the tracks going to this animal. They're going past the animal. Hmm. Well, I know, John, my buck is here. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just, I can't, I cannot believe it, but I want to make sure we recover his first. So we just sort of suspend, you know, disbelief for a second. We continue in and maybe another 10 yards in, there's, there's John Spike Buck. We haul it out. I said, well, you better go back and get, get a good camera. I'm pretty sure this is a deer. So I've waited 15 years. What's the difference if I wait five more minutes? We go back, we, we get cameras. I pull this thing out of the snow and keep in mind i could not see the head or the antlers because they're just covered in snow and it's just this huge thick uh massive body big northwoods buck so it's there's a lot to be said about perseverance here besides the fact it took 15 years (laughs) to have the opportunity it also is a reminder that you, you don't you can't let that negativity sort of suck you down. And in the 15 years, there were plenty of times where it was like, geez, you know, is what what were the decisions that you made? Why did you make those decisions? Did any negativity influence it? Well, absolutely. On Thursday, we should have been following that track. Because after we started to break that animal down, quarter it, and take it apart, what had happened is I had absolutely crunched that deer. I had hit both lungs but there was not an exit wound because I had hit so much bone. I had just caught the edge of the shoulder. So no blood. Um, It was just a big, tough old animal, so it never had any sort of physical reaction, but that deer was waiting there. And if John had not shot that spike buck and given us a reason to go track it down, I'm convinced we would have never gone looking for it and we would have just left it there, you know, as a, as a complete loss. So, Maybe it, call it divine intervention, call it good luck, call it whatever it may be, but after 15 years of, I won't call it bad luck, just no luck, um, we finally had a bit of good luck that brought everything to hand. <laughs> and uh, do you have the head? I do. So uh, we took took everything apart, quartered it, deboned it, took everything down. Um, I was convinced that... Um, you know, I was definitely going to do something with it. And, uh, <laughs> I, for whatever reason was thinking, well, this will be a, this will be a European mount. And I took the head down to a friend of mine, uh, in Grand Rapids, Metal Cowfell. Definitely recommend folks to check out her taxidermy page, uh, Woods and Meadows Taxidermy in Grand Rapids. She does really nice work on birds and has completed training on big game and will be getting into more big game. She immediately was more excited about this deer than even I was and said, you need to send in, she's a wildlife biologist, so she said, you need to send in a tooth sample, you need to get this aged, this is such a cool, unique deer, like, you you got to get a shoulder mount. So she talked me into it, she was going to uh, help me find a cape since I ruined the other cape, but uh, 
she was right. Sent the teeth off to Montana. Uh, got them back at a um, seven and a half year old deer, just an ancient animal for for northern Minnesota. When you think about what that animal had to had to survive through, and and knowing uh, you know northern Itasca County is is a harsh place to live for winter severity index and um, you know healthy wolf populations and you know, dense forests with with uh, only so much nutri- nutritive value so it's it's yeah. a pretty incredible animal that uh that i will certainly always remember and hopefully it's uh it's part of you know a streak that goes in the other direction now hopefully <laughs> that's a nice a nice buck i've bow hunted a, a little bit i've seen uh not this year i haven't seen him while holding a weapon but we've got some nice camera nice deer on camera in the minnesota river valley and we Last year we had about three really nice bucks on camera in Big Fork. We don't really have that right now, but there's a bunch of does running around, and anytime you have the does, the bucks will come calling. Scott Mockentoon's got more stories to tell, and we talk a little fishing too. It's all coming up next on the podcast. I'm Bruce Jean at Rainy Lake Guiding. I always like to give to those in need. That's why I'm on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Because we all know Kev Jackson is sure in need of knowledge. This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored in part by Bemidji State University. You can pursue your passions with a world-class education in the heart of Minnesota's Northwoods. The drive to acquire deeper knowledge and develop greater wisdom is already in your nature. So join us on the shores of Lake Bemidji. Minnesota's premier Northwoods University can help you make the world a better place than you found it. Learn more at BemidjiState.edu and schedule a tour today. BemidjiState.edu Hi, this is Dick Beardsley with Dick Beardsley Fishing Guide Service and Fish House Rentals. Are you looking to plan your next ice fishing adventure? Well, look no further as Bemidji, Minnesota is the place to be. There are over 400 fishing lakes within a 25-mile radius of Bemidji. Come drop a line at Becoming a Fishing Legend. While on your fishing adventure, explore the hundreds of well-groomed snowmobile trails that Bemidji has to offer. Don't forget to take a picture with the historic Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Bemidji, bigger fish and better stories. I'm Chuck Hasse of Leisure Outdoor Adventures, and you're listening to Paul Bunyan Country. Deer Tales with adult-onset deer hunter Scott Mockendoon. So how many people typically go to opening weekend of deer hunting at your place? It's just me and John. Sometimes his dad will come up. Okay. Um, I think his dad is looking to come along this year to fill up a freezer and uh, you know get some venison. So we'll we'll see. We're in bucks only country up there. I think it's 250 uh, antlerless permits, and I know none of us have drawn. Uh, last year I did draw. I think it took me four or five years. But when I started hunting up there, it was gosh, I think it was a managed zone. I think you could shoot two animals. Oh wow. Okay. And you mentioned uh, there's grouse and stuff up there, too. How often are you able to get up there? Just a couple of times a year. It is really enjoyable. We try to get out and do some diver hunting on some of the bigger water, walk some trails for grouse, get out, um, get off the trail a bit, beat up some bush, see if we can get some grouse, some woodcock. So it's uh, enjoy what you, for all the listeners, enjoy what you have in your backyard. I guess the grass is always greener on the other side. I'm sure there's, there's probably people that want to come down and, and uh, you know, hunt hunt pheasants in my neck of the woods. But I always think, well, I'd really like to get after some grouse because the woods are so pretty. So you always want what you don't have. Uh, um, 
and then that's not and that's not an area where you have to do any testing for CWD, is it? No. So the ones I'm in, uh, so down where I'm at on the Minnesota River Valley, it's not mandatory testing. Since I started hunting in Buffalo County a few years back, um, I did pick up the training, I guess, to be able to pull lymph nodes and started sending those off just for peace of mind with my own animals. I Three years ago, I, I took a, a mule deer from a CWD zone in Montana. So I've just kind of become aware of it. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fisheries person and my colleagues are wildlife, but I've definitely, you know, had to educate myself a little bit. I would definitely encourage anyone in the listening audience to read up on that, make a plan, know what you're going to do, what you may need to do if it's mandatory or volunteer testing for CWD. Um, but I haven't had it mandatory anywhere. I know on the west end of Unit 169, which is getting closer to the, to the Bemidji area, you know, I know there are some testing requirements there. I'm not within that area because I'm east of Highway 6. I did receive a postcard about it in the mail. But, um, yeah, definitely know where you're going to be hunting and uh, what the requirements are. And even, even if it's not uh, mandated testing, you know, look for the opportunity to do it voluntarily just because it's good information for you to have and good peace of mind um lots of deer down in your uh, your area in the hutchinson area uh yeah from what i've read deer numbers are are good there um certainly what i see on trail cameras in the minnesota river valley looks looks uh looks very good i mean the drought has definitely had had an influence down here mm-hmm. on animal movement i was actually helping out with our minnesota river Creole that wrapped up, so we have an angler survey that we did on the Minnesota River, uh, wrapped up at the end of October here. I covered one of the shifts back in the middle of the month, and I was down at the at the water's edge trying to talk to any anglers that were around and happened to look both ways, upriver and downriver, and in both locations I saw little herds of deer coming out to get drinks of water. It just If you're hunting in the, in the southern part of the state, you may want to you know, plan some of your hunting locations or stand locations or blind locations on water access because it is incredibly dry down here right now. Okay. Well, um, you know, that's these stories of uh, of the deer and and deer stories are great stories. And uh, a lot of if, if anybody's hunted for any length of time, they've all got one of one sort or another, and and that was a good one. Uh, a long wait for you, Scott. It it really was. I I don't know if I was signing up for deer hunting if you told me I had to wait 15 years to shoot a good buck uh, for all the time and trial and error and effort and time and money that went into it if if I'd sign on for it. But I'm happy now. My hair isn't on fire so much to shoot a big buck this year and hopefully for a little while it won't be. But uh, I did I did write the story up for uh, Whitetails Unlimited magazine. So if people want to read more of the nitty gritty details, it's in. It's in the spring 2022 edition of Whitetails Unlimited. And, yeah, hopefully, folks, uh, if I, if it can happen for me, it can happen for others. There's a <laughs> outdoor writer friend of mine in Duluth that's on the same dry spell, so I'm crossing my fingers for him. <laughs> well, your, your day job is the fishery supervisor out of the Hutchinson uh, area uh, office. How has fishing been down in your neck of the woods this year? You know, it's been pretty good. Uh, we do have a, a population of fish, Collinwood Lake, that we tagged fish on. 
it seems like clockwork. I'll come into the office and uh, open up emails at the end of the weekend, and there will be a handful of new tag reports that come in. And I think it really peaked, you know, early season fishing, and then it slowed down middle of the summer, and now it's kind of picking back up. But the problem we have now is it's the scarcity principle, right? Like everyone knows that fall fishing is really good, but at the same time, if you're only given 60 days to hunt waterfall or you're only given three or four months to hunt rough grouse or, yep. you know, however many days to hunt uh, whatever species are of interest to you, it's like, well, as great as fall fishing is, many people put the boats away just because they want that opportunity to hunt. So we definitely don't get as many anglers out in a boat this time of the year, but those that go out are definitely rewarded. It can be very good fishing. Um, it's been a really warm fall, which I think has been a bit of a struggle for, you know, folks that are waiting for that, you know, big blow to come down, whether you're a duck hunter waiting for that big blow to push birds down or you're a, or you're a walleye angler that's waiting for things to cool off and, you know, really fuel that fast, fast bite. Um, you kind of been waiting just because it's been so incredibly warm, but, uh, yeah, we've heard, we've heard good things. We've certainly seen people out in the boat. So, uh, It'll probably continue right up to whenever freeze-up happens, and then people will get all excited for ice fishing. Yeah, they, yes, they will. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it was a pretty good fishing season up here, certainly. Um, really good walleye year. Um, did have a bit of a down spell in August as typical, but by and large, the, the walleye fishing in, in Paul Bunyan country this year was really amazing. Well, that's fantastic. It's a uh, great reason to, to get out when it's right in your backyard, and certainly there's plenty of folks, myself included, like to come up and indulge as well. Anything uh, you've written lately that we should be reading up on? Oh, let's see. Uh, a lot of recaps from uh, an Alaska trip that I made uh, back in August. I, that gave me plenty of content writing about uh, all the fun we had in Alaska. Uh, so folks are trying to do their first Alaska trip or you just want to have a little getaway and read somebody else's uh, adventure and live vicariously. There's a couple stories out at the St. Cloud Times or the Mankato Free Press. Other than that, it's been a lot of focusing on uh, on preparations for hunting season. There's uh, a little DIY uh, instructions for mounting a, a scope at the Mankato Free Press. And uh, yeah, just kind of kind of going through different things as our seasons change there's so many things to do i wish october lasted forever but now we're into november and i think most of us wish november was 12 months a year too <laughs> so, so where were you in alaska um we were mainly on the kenai peninsula okay so we went down to soldatna but then reversed back to anchorage and stayed on the highway system and went over to copper center so did fish fish the kenai fish the uh, copper and Clutina, and then finished the trip up in Valdez with some halibut fishing. Was that your first trip to Alaska, or you been there before? That was my very first trip. What do you think? Oh, my goodness. I, I said I said to my friends that I went with, you know, I, I Alaska's uh, tourism's slogan back 10, 20 years ago was Alaska before you die. And... Uh, I think that's a pretty good way of putting it. You know, everybody should go to Alaska at least once. You know, I've talked about with my friends and family, oh, I should, I'd like to make three trips, one as a tourist, one as a hunter, one as an angler. Well, 
I don't want to use. I, I do not want to have used my only kitchen pass to fish Alaska. So I, I hope I'm back there more than once. <laughs> okay. Well, I've heard that from every, everybody who's ever gone. It's just uh, it's amazing beyond words. You know, I uh, who was I talking to this summer? Who went? Oh, Tony. Uh, Tony Roach. Who you know? I mean, he's fished a lot of great waters and had a lot of success, and and he couldn't even come up with the words for Alaska. It's just a whole different beast. It's absolutely incredible. It's beautiful. It's uh, largely unex- unexploited and uh, pretty incredible fishing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Scott. Before we wrap it up, uh, I don't think we've done a fast five with you yet, have we? I don't think so. Well, we got to do the Fast Five where we uh, we get the truth, the unvarnished truth from Scott Mockintoon. Uh, I will ask him five questions. He'll have no time to think about them. He's just got to come up with the answer on the fly. Are you ready for this? Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> Fast Five. Did I stutter? Question number one. What is your favorite fish to catch? So I've, I've heard you ask this one, and <laughs> I, I, uh, I think Dave Gens. You know, the ice angler talks about uh, he just wants to catch red lines, referring to what shows up on his on his graph, because you don't, you really can't distinguish. It's the idea of catching whatever is available and being excited about it. And I, I can identify with that statement quite a bit. Um, I love fishing for everything. Variety is the spice of life. I just, I couldn't settle for one thing. So, but if you, if you put a gun to my head and I can only catch one thing from here on out, I'll just say flathead catfish because they're so unique and I have them down here in the Minnesota River. <laughs> okay. What is, question number two, your favorite fish to eat? Uh, I know it's a pretty generic answer, but I'll go with walleye, which is the wonder bread of the fish world. It tastes like nothing. <laughs> so, we're, you know, you're making it taste like whatever you're frying it in or baking it in or cooking it in but it, it, it's hard to it's hard to complain i haven't found too many people that uh, don't like eating fried walleye i have not, never met anybody who didn't like fried walleye all right uh question number three what was the first fish you ever caught this one's a little tougher uh, just because i don't know if i have the exact memory but i'm going to guess that it was bluegills uh fishing Fishing from shore or fishing with my grandparents, uh, just a guess. How old I was, I'm not exactly sure. I'm guessing probably maybe five, six years old, something like that. Any thought, any any idea what lake or river it would have been on? Hmm, probably Lake Marion, uh, but realistically could be a few different places. Okay. Question number four. You have to pick one. This is what you have to do the rest of your life. Are you hunting or are you fishing? I'm fishing. I mean, <laughs> the seasons are open that much longer, and uh, I, I will definitely, uh, I will definitely admit to being a angler who also hunts, and that's a key distinction versus being a hunter who also angles. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, most of course. My, my show kind of evolved as a fishing show into more of a overall show, so I tend to have a lot of hunt or anglers on the show, and that seems to be the, the consensus. <laughs> so, All right, here we go. Question number five. This is the, the only non-outdoors question of the day. What is your favorite movie of all time? Oh, man. <laughs> 
Favorite movie of all time, boy. Just gotta pick one, huh? Yep. Um, you know, I don't even know if it's my favorite. I, I probably couldn't put my finger on a favorite, but I will say that Jurassic Park in my formative years was pretty darn important because of how it really glorified science and scientific discovery and ecology and all those nerdy things that I kind of ended up getting into. So it may not be my favorite, but for today's answer, I'm going to call it my favorite. I'm going to say Jurassic Park. Okay. It's a great movie. Please don't emulate it. (laughs) (laughs) I I think everybody's safe with me. I won't be releasing any dinosaurs. The best I can do for you is put a few fish in the lake. Okay. And I think we're fine with that. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Scott, anything else we should talk about before we wrap it up today? I don't think so. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Kev. Got a great program, a great area, great listenership. And uh, I just wish everybody the best of luck with uh, deer hunting season upon us. Be safe out there. You know, a, a successful trip, as I learned, isn't isn't putting a big buck down. It's coming home safe to your family, having a wonderful experience, enjoying the hunt itself, whether you fill a tag or not. So good luck to everyone out there and be safe. All right, he is Scott Mockentoon. He uh, is an outdoor writer uh, and a fishery supervisor on, in a Hutchinson area office. Scott, again, where are the uh, main places we can read your stuff if we want to find some? You bet. I regularly write for the St. Cloud Times and the Mankato Free Press. Scott, great to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time today. Thank you. Bumper in country.